Welcome to the Hole in the Wall Business Podcast with Bill and James. I'm James Groves, and along with my business partner, Bill Dement, we want to share our journey as small business owners with you. As owners of Hole in the Wall Drywall Repair for over the past decade, we have learned a few things. From the big wins to the occasional mistakes, we will attempt to peel back the curtain of owning a small business in the trade service industry. We don't have all the answers, but perhaps we can learn from a few things as we navigate the many adventures of owning a small business. All right, Bill. Hey, good morning, James. How's it going? Wonderful. Going wonderful. I'm excited about today. We've actually had about a 12-minute discussion prior to pushing play and record on this with this amazing guest. We have David Edmiston. 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 I'm going to get that wrong. Uh, With us. Thank you for coming, Dave. He's from Colonial Florist. Thank you. Thank you very much for having me. Candace loves you. Welcome. And you know what? I've never had the privilege of meeting you, but I can tell in the 10 or 12 minutes that we've been sitting around talking, this is going to be a load of fun. I'm very excited about this. Thank you. Yeah, it might be a 14-hour podcast, but it's going to (laughs) be so much fun. David, thank you for showing up. Thank you for coming today. Appreciate it. We've got got a mutual friend, uh, Trish Murphy, with Marketing Smarty Pants. She takes care of all our stuff. She was on the podcast a few weeks ago. Um, I know she connected us, so yes. this is exciting. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it at all. Absolutely. And so you're with Colonial Florist. Yes. And you're, you're, you're one of the owners of that. Right. So let's just kind of jump into it. Um, kind of tell us a little bit about your background and the, 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 the business and all the good stuff. So um, we're a third-generation florist. Mm. My grandmother was a florist in Ohio. Um, we lived in a—I was born in Akron, Ohio, so we were— Outside of Akron in a little town called <clears throat> Cahawga Falls, and they had a shop in Ravenna. And my father came out of World War II and went to Ohio State with his brother. And the family was very, very close. You know, um, back then it was a, a different world. Um, they had five kids born. Two of them survived. Uh, the other mm. three were died of polio. Oh, wow. And so <clears throat> Dad and Jim, my brother, my uncle, connected in a very, very close way. And when Dad came back from the war, um, it was it was just bonded them because Jim was he went in at 145 pounds and a five foot six he came out at 115 pounds. Oh my! Whoa! And um, they both sat down on the porch and cried when he walked up on the porch because not just because he made survive, but <clears throat> what the the effects of World War II had on him. Right. You know, and as it had on everybody because you know they were drafted. So <clears throat> they were been very close. Both of them went to Ohio State. They both got their degree in horticulture, and um, they ran a shop out of Ravenna, Ohio, and they sold flowers and did um, registry stuff for brides and things. And then Grandpa and Grandma moved down to um, Florida in 1960, and Dad came down in 1961, started working for a small flower shop out in Winter Garden called Colonial Corners. And then in 1973, he bought Colonial Florist, which is was on Colonial and Mills. It mm. was um, established in 1953 or 58. It says so on the website. I don't remember mm. sometimes. And um, so he immediately bought that. He immediately brought my uncle in to work with him. Right. And then my mother worked, my brother worked, my sister worked. And so it became quite a bit of family in the business. And they had, they were very lucky. They had great employees all the time. And then in 1978, a florist on Curry Ford Road called Gallagher's Aladdin Florist came up for sale. Uh, they were also flowers by Sears, and Sears did everything yeah, back then. Monster, mm-hmm. right? <clears throat> and they were all subcontractors. So 
1978, we bought that. That place was a lot bigger. And eventually in 1995, we moved out of the Colonial store on Colonial Mills. The neighborhood had changed quite a bit drastically. There were a lot more homeless people. Um, all the We had a lot more square feet down on Curry 4. We had 1,250 at Colonial Mills. We had 3,000. Oh, well, so it's much, so a much bigger place. So we ran everything out of there. And it was that was just basically a storefront. And then it became dangerous storefront. Um, there was, I don't know if you guys remember, but in, um, there was a murder at uh, a place called Silk, Silk, Silk. It was a woman working by herself in the middle of the day. Guy came in and stabbed her with a pair of scissors. Oh, my. And that we knew that person, actually. And then about a month later, another woman was killed at Darts USA, which is on the other side of Colonial. And I walked over to the phone, and I called Cindy Smith, the woman that was working there. She's family almost. Mm -hmm. I said, just close it up and go. I mean, we were working on closing the store anyway, but that was just like, that made it an immediate right. thing because yeah. now people were in jeopardy. Yeah. We're done. We're, we're done. done with that area. We're yeah. just done. It never looked back. Yeah. And so we moved everything down there, and uh, we're the oldest florist in Orlando. We didn't start out that way, but the oldest florist went out of business. So mm. the floral industry has done a lot of transition over the years. It's it, In 1980, there were probably 117 florists, I think is what it was. Mm -hmm. There's about 15,000 florists in, this, in the United States that are members of either FTD or Teleflora. And um, so now there's like 30 mm. florists. So it's really reduced because it's a little harder to get into now than it used to be. Um, everybody wants to get into it that thinks they are creative and thinks they, and so they want to open a flower shop. And it takes a lot more than that to right. keep a flower shop running. Mm -hmm. It isn't just about being artsy, you know. Right. I'm not artsy, but after doing 5,000 arrangements, I'm pretty good at it by yeah, now, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I had some excellent training. My, my yeah. uncle was a, um, he went to professional floral design, so I learned from him. So nice. I learned from one of the best. And he was, there's different kind of designers. You know, there's guys who do frou-frou stuff and, and, and do weddings and all that. He was a commercial guy, so he, you know, he could knock out 30 arrangements in an hour and it all looked great. Wow. So I had learned from some of the best. And so just out of sheer practice, uh -huh. and, and you learned how to do that. And so... So are you still actually doing the flowers yourself? Oh, yeah. We do. We, we've got 11 employees. Right. But you get your hands dirty. Every day. Wow. Every day. Wow. Um, it's a harder industry to... It's why my kids aren't part of it. It's a hard industry to make money. Um, Dad didn't really start being successful until he bought Colonial Florist. Mm. And then when we bought Colonial Florist, we took the ownership of one and divided it into three. And so now you've got to support three different families. So it's you can't right. Think this, it, this is you and your brother and a sister. And my right? sister, right, mm. Kathy, and my brother, Ed. Mm. And so we've worked together for a long time. Um, and my Ed and I have worked together since we were 16. Oh, yeah. You know, I'm, I'm kind of a unicorn. I'm, I've only... Owned had one job ever in so my life. This is your only job. This is my only job. <laughs> so, wow, amazing. Crazy. So, so you are now in business with two siblings. Mm -hmm. Your parents obviously had uh, passed had, away. Had passed away, and you have this 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 floors. You're only one location, right? So you right. Don't, okay. Um, so the dynamic of living of working with your family is is that a do you have to separate it during Thanksgiving? Or are you guys Bickering, or I mean, you know, it growing up in the industry, so the lines got blurred very early. And mm -hmm. my parents were a very, very open family. I would never know. We had six people at dinner table, 
And sometimes we'd have nine people and they'd be neighborhood kids. So I grew mm-hmm. up in a, a relatively poor environment in, when we first started. Mm-hmm. And the neighborhood that we were in was a dirt road and we played games. You know, we played football in the middle of the road and yep. all that kind of stuff. And, and so we had relatives that would come down and visit for a month at a time. You know, wow. just stay. It was, it was so cool. I, the kid, we as kids loved having the visitors, but it it taught us how to open up mm-hmm. and open the house up, and so it didn't matter if there were five people for dinner or, or ten people for dinner. Actually, mom seemed to enjoy more people the better. Mm, yeah, and and I think that followed through our entire careers. So we didn't have a normal sibling relationship because you know they like one went off to college here one went off to college here and then tried to open up their own business so we became a family first mm. and that's never changed so, um and then that's a, I think that's one of the important things is that I may be frustrated with them or I may be angry with them as a business partner but as a brother and a sister I love them to death and I know that they would do anything for me and I would do anything for them and I think yeah. that that changes the environment completely because no matter what, mm-hmm. you know, if you think about it, when you get into a big argument about business or what's right, you're both arguing for the best of the business. Yeah. It's just different yeah, right. opinions. And you got to keep that in mind that it, they're not wrong. They're just different opinions. Mm. And so um, keeping that environment through there, Ed and I can have just a, a shouting match mm-hmm. about something and then go to dinner with our wives and like it's nothing ever happened. So it's not a matter of... Uh, Leaving, I, you do leave it. You do leave it. You know, you, you save it for what's at work and do there, and then you go home and you, then you become brother and sister again. Mm-hmm. And you can still talk about other things in business, but you're still brother and sister first. Right. And that's what's important, I think. So, at what point was the transition from your parents to the siblings and you? As they got older, um, we started taking more of the responsibility. And I'm not sure the year that it was. is probably 1995, 1998 that they've officially retired. So the way that we did it, this is a we're a C corporation, and so there are shares, and they're all owned by Dad and Mom. They owned them jointly, and so what happens is that each share is one tenth the value of the corporation. And we we sat down with our accountant and we said, how do we buy this? And so what we ended up doing is doing a, a dramatic stock split. So we went from 10 shares to 100 shares. And so each share dropped its value by 10%, you know, by mm-hmm. 90%. And um, then this company bought back 97 shares from them on payments. Mm-hmm. And then um, we bought each one share. And so it gave us complete control, but at a much, much lower cost. Right. And then there was a, a thing called an unfunded pension. Um, so that's a recognition of your contributions to the business. You know, we're going to fund a pension. And so that was also part of the deal. Um, tax laws have changed since then. So I'm, I'm not saying that that's yeah. the right way to yeah. go. So you that's essentially f- helped to finance your parents' retirement. Correct. That Between the two of them, that became financing them for the sale of the shop. Nice. So it worked out very well. Um, and then... Having other siblings that potentially could become want to come into the business, mm-hmm. we had you know made a stipulation that we each owned one shop share. If we had a sibling come in and want to be part of that, they would get a share, but we would also at that time get a chance to buy another share. Mm. So we put in the the hard work for this 
day in, day out. Right. And so if they were going to come in, they weren't going to be coming in, come in as, as a full equal. partner. They would come in as an owner, but not as a complete owner. Right. And then that could change later on down the road. So it's, it's, it's important that you have those discussions early, right? Absolutely. <clears throat> and so we had Gerard Grant on here just a couple weeks ago, um, who's helping us with all of our contracts. And when you have, when you're a one-man shop, it's a little bit easier. You right. still want to have some succession. You still want to have some documentation. But when you have partners or you have family as partners and you want to be equitable, uh, what do we always say? It's better to have an understanding now than a misunderstanding later. Absolutely. Right. And uh, so having those stipulations in early really freed you guys up to run this business. I think part of it is it was required by corporate corporate law. You know, mm-hmm. you had to have minutes, you had to do this. And so everything had to be documented. So you had to develop a plan. And yeah. so having a good accountant, someone that, you know, understood what you were trying to do and, and where you were going, and then a tax attorney um, helped a little bit to help write the contract up. But, yeah, you just you have to sit down and try to figure out where you want to go and how you want to make things flexible enough to, to react to future things, but yet solid enough to not worry about it. And then we also had discussions about what happens when one of them dies because you have this key employee thing that goes on all the time. Right. And so we all came to the same agreement that at, if one of us died, then the other two would buy out the spouse because they had no interest in right. doing that. You know, mm-hmm. I had my wife work with me and Ed's had his wife come in and work. And it's a really, now that's a dynamic that's hard to work with because yeah. you can't separate your wife and a husband kind of relationship. Right. Um, very few of those work. And if they do work, I've, I've talked to a couple of people who've had a husband and wife work. They do things that are completely separate. Right. You know, they, they don't intermix. And it's a pretty hard line because that's the only way I could see that it functions. Yeah, I agree. <clears throat> and uh, and it's, it's, it's interesting because, like, I've got my son who works with us here at Home in the Wall. Bill's got his son. We've had our children, multiple children, work with us throughout the years. Right. And so the dynamic of I – mean, I was talking the other day because Charles, he works here. I see him every day. So I have to kind of, like, take the dad and the work hat and do a lot of swapping – you know, it could be go, hey, this job went great, worked at, you know, work hat. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh, by the way, this weekend we're going to go hang out and go top golf. And, you know, and um, we always say that we're actually hardest on our children in the business. Absolutely. You know? Yeah, that's yeah. true. So being family gave them the job, but they had to earn the job. And they have. They? Yeah. And uh, that dynamic I probably is pretty common um, when you have a father's, uh, you know, and, and siblings coming into the business. He's still taking the vast majority of the money because he's got us to support. I mean, I yep. worked my way through college mm-hmm. in the business, and that's why it just kind of – it was a path of least resistance almost sure. for me to start working for the flower shop. And um, so it's important to start at the bottom. You know, I started fl- driving and delivering flowers. Right. And then worked into – in the office, in the shop, and then, you know, designing, learning how to design, then learning the accounting. I think one of the – Key things any family member can do. I don't. For us, artsy people aren't good business people. Always, you know, the two worst kind of bosses is a is an accountant or a marketing guy, right? Because <laughs> they they just don't understand how to run a business. And so the um, learning the business end of that, when you're a small business, you have to understand what a profit and loss statement is. You have to at least understand what they do. Yes. You may not have to be able to put the entries in, but so many people don't look at the business. They look at just the income, and that's where they leave it. And um, 
it, it, they're missing a big part of it. You've got to look at a cost of goods sold. You've got to look at this and you've got to look at that and understand how to influence those numbers mm-hmm. and, and what you have to do to change those numbers to make them work for you. Yeah, it's very funny. I had a discussion with our accountant a while back. It's like, it's hard that we like, like, hey, we made a profit, but where's all the cash? It's like there's a difference between between the balance sheet and the P&L. They, right, they absolutely. Actually, they actually don't even touch each other hard, hardly. And so learning the differences as a business owner is, is pretty crucial to do that. It's very important to do it. And I see a lot of biz, small businesses fail because they just don't really approach the whole scenario. So if you're going to start a new business, it wouldn't hurt you just to take an accounting class, you know, even if it's a, a yeah, local Yeah, I would college, agree with that. You know, yeah. just to understand that there are credits and debits and how one account touches the other and how to know the difference between sales and profit and all yeah. that kind of thing. So, And, and we're, 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 we are real big on um, outsourcing here because obviously I'm not a great marketer, um, so we hired Trish. I'm not a good business attorney, so we hired a good business attorney. And um, luckily I'm married to an accountant, so she's got a little bit of uh, smarts uh, in accounting better than me for sure, but we still hire a CPA that can make sure that we're kind of all dialed in. Um, but there's so much we have to know as business owners that they don't teach you. So uh, this class is actually a really good idea because, I mean, of course, over the years we've learned, we know. Right. But, boy, if you're a small business guy coming in for the first time, trying to figure out the differences between, you know, invoices and cash flow. and Absolutely. Um, A perfect example is how to handle uh, contract Mm -hmm. employees. You know, they don't tell you these things in business, but – so when we do a holiday, um, we normally average around 30 to 50 deliveries a day. Mm-hmm. That's, that's, that's our general. So Valentine's Day, Mother's Day, we do 600 deliveries in oh those two my. days. Literally. Um, and so there's a lot of effort to logistically deal with all that stuff. Um, it's a perishable product. Mm-hmm. So what we hire is drivers. We don't hire designers because... Let's face it, you have to have at least some experience designing. You right. don't care how archy you are to make it look right. Yes. Mm-hmm. It, 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 you have to have practice. And they're not hard, easy to find. You just can't call the phone. I can find a driver to figure, that knows Orlando, you know, in 10 minutes. I had, Normally we have about 15 to 20 drivers just for Mother's Day and, and Valentine's Day. So we do all the work and the design work, mm-hmm. and that's a whole different logistical thing. Um but they're all subcontractors. Yeah. And so workers' comp becomes part of that, mm-hmm. you know, because they're, quote, unquote, supposedly carrying their own workers' comp, which they don't. Right. Yeah. So I have to pay their workers' comp. Right. Because I'm just protecting myself. Yeah, God forbid it. something yeah. happens. Yeah. If they cause it, <clears throat> they don't have any, you know, they have their own insurance. But sure. then, you know, uh, uh, the attorney's going to go, we're going to get who you hired. And like, an example is when people come up and they, oh, well, we'll remove this tree and we don't need to have workers' comp because we're a subcontractor. Well, what they don't tell you or what they don't show you is that if something happens to one of their employees, they're not going to go after them. They're going to go after the homeowner. Yeah, the property. Their homeowner insurance. Mm -hmm. And so you're taking a risk and you don't, they kind of hide it and, you know, it's a a little bit of a scam. Yeah, we run into that issue in in, in drywall. A lot of our competitors are handymen. They're they're people who just you know, maybe maybe a chuck in a truck or stand in a van that can try and do drywall work. But what the homeowner doesn't understand is that if that person gets injured on their property, sure, they they got their own little company and they're you know, they don't need workers' comp. 
Well, their homeowner's policy is going to be liable for that. Absolutely. I had a friend of mine years ago owned a, uh, a uh, he owns a painting company, and he had an employee that he got a temporary employee um, just for a couple for the contract, and he was on top of a second story and painting uh, the second story eat, and he fell through the pool screen. He painted. He died, mm. and. And, it's a, and I've used the example a couple of times because if he didn't have workers comp to cover the employee, cover that family of his employee would have gone after the home. Yeah, after the home. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, right. And that homeowner's insurance would have taken a real big hit. Um, so that's the importance of hiring somebody that has the ethics to make sure that they look, even though you don't have to, you do, right? You have, you don't have to have workers comp these people, but you right. do. Right. Um, and that's why it's important to hire a company that, because all of our employees are, are W-2 employees. Right. Um, we, we rarely so hire 1099. Um, but, so that's really interesting that you've actually brought that up. I'm curious, um, you mentioned trust. Um, when you're doing your designs, you don't hire subs to do your designs and your work because you want to make sure it's done right. Correct. Because the customer is expecting, they're paying good money for that arrangement. We want to make sure that arrangement looks like they expect it to look, right? You've built that trust with the customer. You don't want to break right. that trust. So doing that, have you found any challenges in consistency between the products? Or do you just do you follow a unique design every time? Or do you follow the handbook? Or That's evolved quite a bit and mm -hmm. changed quite a bit with websites. <clears throat> um, because it used to be when we, we've done a lot of arrangements for holidays all the time. Um, like I said, we normally do 30 to 50, and, and during Mother, Mother's Day and Valentine's, we'll do 600 in two days or deliver yeah. 600 in two days. Um, those have to be made up ahead of time. So the challenge with a website is how do you get your customers to order? It used to be before the website, they would just order a $50 arrangement, a $75 arrangement, or whatever they were going to order, and we'd have 100 of them made back there, and they'd go, well, okay, I want a $100 arrangement, but I want it in pinks and yellows. So we go back in there and we adjust to make it pinks and yellows. But they would be our designs. Well, now with a website, on the day-to-day -day process, they have products that they're picking. You know, yeah. Teleflora, the company that runs the website for us or manages the website for us, takes all these pictures and we have all these pictures. And so a customer will look at it and, oh, my, you've got a catalog to look at. I want that or yeah. I want that. So and that's that's the expectation. Right. And so that's fine during day to day. I can make all that stuff. But during a holiday, I don't have time to take to make stuff after the fact. Right. I have to sell them what I have. Right. And so that whole process was really a learning experience. It took years to be able to start manipulating what they buy. So what we have is what's called a skinny website. And so instead of having 5,000 products, they have 16. Mm. And they get to choose from that 16. We try to make it as cover a lot of different things, but I can't pre-make anything. Yeah. We learned it the hard way. We had um, we were continuing doing, we had all these arrangements in the cooler um, for the sale, and everybody started using the website, and they started picking it. And so it wasn't what I had in the back. Right. So it ended up, it, I, it was an 80-hour week instead of a 70-hour you know, week, <clears throat> and... I had 150 arrangements left over because they were yeah. picking very specific things. So now I have to manipulate the way that works. And, that, and so it's a lot of fun. I mean, it was yeah. a really good challenge. I think like, I tell everybody that I don't love the flower business, 
but I love being my own boss. Mm-hmm. And, and the flower business certainly offers a lot of opportunity and challenges to, to figure out how to do things. And that's what's been fun. Yeah. So, but well, quality of the arrangements, quality has always been number one. But again, flowers are a secondary you know, right. product of mine. Customer services is really the primary product because I don't right. care how beautiful your arrangement is. If you deliver it after she's gone home that day on her anniversary, yeah. he's not going to pay for it. Uh, we learned that lesson really hard one year in Valentine's Day. We got we lost track of what we were doing, and we took too many orders. And we were delivering Valentine's Day flowers at 9 o'clock, 10 o'clock at night. Oh, boy. We got them all out. Mm-hmm. Got them all delivered. But the next day, you know, people go, you woke me up. Yeah. On Valentine's Day, to give me my wife her flowers, I'm not paying for this, yeah. and so we refunded 100 arrangements, mm. and we went, okay, so now we're going to set a limit as to how many because we're going to be done by five o'clock, mm-hmm. and so that's what happens is we're done at five, but carryover comes to six, so I'm completely done at six o'clock in the afternoon, and we progressed that to the point where by noon we already have 300 arrangements out the door, mm. you know, yeah. and so we can handle a high volume. Mm-hmm. So would you say the website um, evolution has helped you become better at customer service? Absolutely. You, re- you record that in Google reviews Yeah, because a lot of people rely on those. And um, it's a little bit of it's unfortunate is that sometimes well, people will give you a bad review before you even call you and say, hey, I got a problem with the flowers. Yes. Yeah. And then I don't get a chance to use customer service. Mm-hmm. As a, you know, about six months ago, one of the prouder moments in my life is, is, is I got a complaint. And it turned into a five-star review. Wow. You know, so I felt like this is what's working. So it depends a little bit on one of the limiting factors is what's the cost of each item. You know, I my my normal arrangements cost sixty to one hundred dollars. Mm-hmm. In that, you know, by the time you average it out, divide it. My dad taught me. He says the way to fix customer service, the way to handle a complaint, is you do it with a smile on your face, and you just fix it. Mm-hmm. He says. The arra- replacing the arrangement, even though it's not a legitimate complaint, but replacing the arrangement costs you nothing. Mm-hmm. But having that guys tell everybody they know that this creep sent me crap and, yeah. and so and they didn't yeah. fix it. <clears throat> yeah, that could right. be costly. You know, mm-hmm. sometimes they get shocked that we're not getting an argument from us. They go, right. and I always go, well, I really appreciate the fact that you called and let us know that we made a mistake. You know, yeah. if you look at a complaint as a... And designers do it all the time. I know what that arrangement looked like. It was beautiful when it left the door. Yeah. And so this, this is a completely illegitimate complaint. And I said, who cares? Yeah, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. Fix it. You know, so if you look at a customer complaint as an opportunity to fix a mistake, whether that's a legitimate mistake or not, but if you treat it that way, then all of a sudden the customer goes, oh, wait a minute. This guy really treated me right. And mm-hmm. and the next purchase is the one that will make up for that. Right. Well, and it's, you know, when someone's buying, I would assume, an, an, an arrangement, it's for a special occasion. It's because they want someone to feel special. So, sure, our perception is it's great, but if their perception is it's not great, then that's the, really the reality, right? Their, well, their you're, perception you're saying is always is perception is reality. Perception is reality. Yeah. You know, normally what's right for the customer is normally what's right for the company mm-hmm. so that and if you look at that as customer services fixing a problem is good for the customer but it's also good for your for the company itself right so it, it's not a they're not at odds fixing an arrangement is not costing the company hardly anything mm-hmm. but the reputation is far more valuable 
Absolutely. You know, we have a, you know, in, in our industry, we do, you know, almost 2,000 jobs a year. So holes in the wall are commonplace. We do 30, right. 40 jobs a, day, a week. My technicians are patching thousands of holes a year. And so to us, it's just a hole in the wall. But to the homeowner that we're working in, it's a hole in their home. This is their life. This is their biggest investment probably that they've ever had. And so we want to make sure we train our guys to have that. Listen, we're not just walking in to patch a hole. We're walking in to fix someone's house to make right. it look right again. So so that customer service, is, is it, it bleeds through every industry, right? So you don't want to make sure. That's what I love about this podcast is we're able to talk about, you know, sure, we're a service industry, but you're in the, in the customer service industry too. And so we're able to kind of bleed through all those different dynamics. I'm really curious about the evolution. You guys have been around since the 50s, right? Mm-hmm. And back in the day, you could get walk-ins and you're taking you know, orders on paper. <laughs> and uh, you might have a showroom where people can pick out an arrangement or two to now how many, people, how many people walk into your office versus how many people you actually do orders for? Walking trade changed drastically when fl- supermarkets started carrying flowers. Mm. Mm. Um, it used to be pretty heavy. <clears throat> Used to be probably twenty five percent of the business was walking trade. Wow, um, that changed drastically with with supermarkets, and actually those type of markets buy more flowers than retail florists do nowadays. Yeah. So so that group of people to the growers are a much more valuable customer than I am. Mm. Um. So, it, I you have to buy groceries every week. I can't compete with that. There's right. no way. So the only thing that I can do is give you a superior product to what they get, you know. Um, right. And then part of what that having somebody walk in the door is they get to come in behind the curtain. And I think this is part of the family part of what mom and dad did, you know, having the very open house. When people come in, they're always surprised that you're going to let me walk in the back, mm. you know, and see what's happening. Go pick out my flowers out of the cooler. Right, you know, and they love it. You know, they love being able to just choose each rose. Oh, that they I'm get sure they that. would. Yeah, and wow. they they really get giddy with that, and so you start getting more repeat business, and we've gained back some of that because it's not a you know something that's pre made like it is at Publix because I cannot compete with somebody who you're standing in line and there they are. Oh, yeah. hey, you know, yeah. let me do that. Yeah, with so. But there's a, there's a huge difference, right? So I can pick up a bouquet of flowers at Sam's Club or Publix. But it's not going to be the same quality of... Well, actually, it's not far off because, mm-hmm. like I said, that group of, uh, let's just call them supermarkets, Sam's Clubs, all those people, mm-hmm. they buy more flowers than the retail florist does. So they have farms that are that are making those bouquets in South America for them mm-hmm. specifically. So there's there's they rival in freshness, they, but what they don't get is you can't get a <coughs> custom mix. Yeah. It is what it is. They're selling mostly lower end flowers, daisies, carnations, roses, because roses really aren't as expensive as some of the other flowers in the market. Oh yeah, yeah. So you know, lilies and, and peonies and hydrangeas, all those are can be you know dahlias and anemones. There's a, a, a plethora of of different types of, of flowers that Publix will never carry because mm. they don't last long enough. Yep. Um, shifting gears just sure. for a moment, I'm I'm curious how when you and your brother and sister took over the business, how did you determine who was going to do what? How did you divide the labor? I think it was as they, des- they as they came in as we came into the business, 
we all started taking different jobs, you know, because um, Ed was actually, for the longest time, was in charge of deliveries. I mean, he, he ran that whole delivery section. At one point in time, I know back in the 90s, you know, if you gave him an address, he could tell you, well, you go up here, turn right, it's probably the third house on the left. And oh, he did that goodness. through 600 square miles. Wow. I mean, he, he had a memory that for that kind of thing. You know, everybody has their own things. I remember phone numbers really well. Mm. You know, my daughter remembers license plates numbers. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> but he remembered streets, and he still does. I mean, but now you have a computer that maps it all out for you sure. and all that kind of stuff. So he evolved that way. Um, I took more accounting classes, so I evolved towards paying the bills, doing that kind of stuff, and that's where I am. And then my sister came in, and she's you know designs as well. And then it came to what we need when we started buying directly from South America, um, and we can talk about that in a second. But then you needed someone full. It's almost a full time job, mm-hmm. we, you know. Um, about. 25% of our, our cost of goods sold is about 33%. Wow. And we try to keep it at that number. So it's a lot of volume mm-hmm. in there. And so someone has to be responsible for that and, and do that. And, and if I'm paying the bills and I'm designing and all that, I don't have time for that. So it's, right. it became, these are the things that we have to do. And so we had to divide them out that way. And, and so each one of them developed their own skills along that kind of way. So is there a boss? No. No, just three of you combined? Um. It's two out of three, mm-hmm. which makes mm-hmm. it. I, I don't know how it would work no. if there was an even number, right. because because um, then you could get a fifty-fifty. But yeah. generally speaking, there's very little that Ed and I don't agree on, and we've been in it a little bit longer than Kathy. Mm-hmm. And um, my brother's now retired, so now it is a fifty-fifty, and mm-hmm. so it's a little more challenging. We have to sit down and talk a little bit more yeah. about different ideas about how it works. But there really wasn't a boss. It was it was kind of an accumulative kind of thing. And then if two of them said, you know, Ed and Kathy said, "This is the way we want to do it," I said, "Okay." You know? yeah. uh, and so it, we we submitted to the two out of three vote. So is there an, another generation on the horizon here? No, 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 no. Like I said, it, it's a it's a tough business to make good money at. Right. Um, we've had an explosion over the last five years. Mm. Or actually, it really started when the website started, and people could interact and use the website. Mm-hmm. Um, because first, like I said before, we had a website for five years, and we took two orders a year because we didn't have the facility, the ability, the electronic ability to, with a program to to take orders online. Mm-hmm. So now that that didn't, it just opened up a lot of things, and then COVID came. We've had a couple like the real estate depression in '08. Each one of those recessions, we lost numbers of floors, and they didn't always come back. Mm. And so, through attrition, mm-hmm. stronger, you know, strongest, being oldest, having a good solid base of customers, and we do everything. We, you know, there was probably about fifteen years ago, there started a what's called a an event florist, and so all they do are weddings and conventions and stuff like that. And um, it's a big market. There's a lot of hotels that do destination weddings, mm-hmm. and so they need a florist to do that. And so there's there's several big florists down there that do that kind of stuff. And, but it's it's a different lifestyle, you know. Um, we grew up, and every night I was home for dinner with my family, and family is very important right. to us. Always has been. We learned that from mom and dad. We learned that from my grandparents. So 
um, that kind of bled through to that. And so doing something, we were at a convention in Atlanta doing a, a thing for L.A. Gear. It was about 150 plants that we put in to the show. We talked to the guy that ran the floral department for that convention. It's the super show. Um, and he was home 10 weekends a year. Wow. And I said, you know, it's, it's just not, he just had to be mm-hmm. traveling. Wow. So that's a very important part of um, that is being able to be home and be a family. Right. So the key word of family run business is family. So might as well make sure we keep family as the priority. Correct. And then treating fairly. And, mm-hmm. and I, I, a business relationship is no different than a wedding, a, a marriage, mm-hmm. or any kind of relationship. If you don't have trust, you don't have respect. If you don't you know, sit down and communicate with each other, it's not going to work. Um, I listen all the time to people say, well, I can't, I couldn't work with my brother for four days, let alone 40 mm-hmm. years, because Ed and I have worked together, and Kathy now, um, we're all up over 60 years old. And so we've been working a long, long time. Oh, yeah. And so communication happens. Um, being sarcastic with each other, being able to tell a joke, not having too thin a skin, uh-huh. and not taking ourselves too seriously. <clears throat> it's it's all very important. Right. you got to be able to laugh at yourself. And you also have to understand that they have different opinions, and you have to respect that. So respect for that is, is I think, the hardest thing, because sometimes you think you're right, mm-hmm. and you know you're right, mm-hmm. and the other two are going, uh-uh, you're not. Yeah. So um, family is family. It's all about a relationship. Uh-huh. And I think that bleeds into customer service. You know, you treat them like family. As I've said, there's. we were talking a little bit early in that 12-minute section about how to say no. And so when I get a phone call at 3 o'clock in the afternoon and some guy says, hey, I got to get flowers to my wife, and she's downtown, and she leaves at five, and I'm going in my head. I'm going. There's no way I'm going to make it's that. Not I, got, I got to drive. So yeah. you can say no. I can't do that. Mm-hmm. Or you can say, you know, I've got two drivers out. I don't have anybody there. I can't. I can't really get this. But there's a florist right around the corner, mm-hmm. and I give them a call because they, they they might be able to handle that for you. So again. I'm giving them to another florist to do that business for that specific order, but they're going to remember the way that I treated them, yes, right. like family, mm-hmm. and come back to me later. And I think that happens a lot. Yeah, there's, there's a nicer way to say no than just no. You're offering a solution. You're being positive. You want you sympathize or, or empath, you know for what their situation is, and you want to make sure they have a positive result, whether it's with you or not. Right. I, I tell my employees all the time. I said I don't want you to use the word no when you're telling someone they can't, you can't do something. You don't have to use the word no. And if you explain yourself why, then, I mean, how many times have you talked on the some person on the phone, they go, no, I can't do that. And, yeah. and you kind of, it's not a great mm-hmm. experience to hear. And so when they say, well, this is why I can't do that. Instead, mm-hmm. you're educating the customer. Education of the customer is extremely important yeah. for us. You know, you have to tell them that, you know, I can get this flower, but it's going to be small and overpriced. You mm-hmm. know, I have an ongoing battle with my brother and my sister about tulips. You know, I I love them as a flower. Uh-huh. I hate them to sell because they don't last. Um, they're hard to get all good quality and all that kind of stuff. And so I'd rather not carry them. But again, this is that two to one thing where it sure. comes in. I would own. I, you wouldn't sell it to it if it was up to me. But we do. But if you educate your customer, going okay, this isn't the best time of year to buy tulips. Tulips are a winter flower, and you can get them better. So educating the customer on 
on types of flowers, longevity of flowers, keeping them from making a mistake, but at the end, letting them know we do this with weddings all the time. At the end, if if you want something and this is the way you want it, my job is to give it to you. You know, I, I've had customers that come in. I had a perfect example. I had a girl come in, I don't know, three or four years ago, and my sister Kathy waited on her. And she wanted red, white, and blue Gerber daisies for her wedding bouquet. I was a fifth florist that she went to because they wouldn't do it. Wow. This is going to look tacky. It's going to look ugly. And Kathy looked at her like, it doesn't matter what I think. This is what you want. Yeah, she's your wedding. She's your wedding, you know. So our job is to get you what you want and not make mistakes. I'll yeah. tell you about those mistakes. This flower is going to be really, like, people come in all the time. They want gardenias. And I said, you know, as soon as you pick a gardenia, the clock starts. And by the time oh. you get done with the wedding, it's going to be brown. I said, understand that. You can get a silk gardenia. You can do all sorts of different things. But if you really point a gun to my head and say, I want gardenias, then you'll get gardenias. Yeah, right. But understand that when you say, well, it turned yellow. I'm gonna, I told you that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so, but that brings an interesting question on just what you just said. Do you all deal in the silk flowers as well? Used to do a lot more in it. Now it's it's... Uh, it got specialized into home design. Okay. And so it's not a big line of it. We do mostly fresh. I do some stuff, but a lot of that is like cemetery bases and things like that. So right. I don't buy high quality. You know, silks, flowers are just like clothing. You can go to Walmart and buy a $3 t-shirt, or you can go to, you know, a high-end shop and mm-hmm. spend $35 on the same t-shirt. Right. Different quality, different thing, but do you notice the difference? Mm-hmm. So the same thing with silk flowers. I can buy a, a, a rose that I spent 30 cents on or I can spend $12 on it. Mm. Wow. Customers aren't going to pay that. And I have a quick follow-up question sure. about flowers from South America. You indicated there was there's an interesting bit of a story there. There's two ways to get flowers as a retail florist. You can... The, the chain is, is bought from... It's grown in South America, Bogota, Colombia... And Ecuador are the two biggest flower exporters in the is, world. Is there a local market at all that it's too hot. supplies? It's too hot. Blooming flowers are are like 50s and 60s. So California has a market. Mm. Um, but Florida and California are at war with each other from an agricultural point of view. Mm-hmm. There's um, We used to get a, thing, a flower called a protea that's grown in, south of, in California. And they would come in and they would have snails on them. And Florida's protecting themselves against snails. And so they would take it and they would just throw it in the trash or they would put it in the, you know, in an incinerator and burn them. And so you would get a whole product that you couldn't use because we never got a hold of it. Um, so <clears throat> South America came into the market about 25 years ago um, because fuel costs got too high to keep – you have to grow flowers in colder environment. So the winters become a little bit more expensive. So now you have to heat a greenhouse. What they do is they terrace at a certain... They're in the Ecuador. There's a a standard deviation of about four degrees Mm. down in that area. Mm -hmm. So they pick a temperature range they want. They go up to that elevation. They they terrace in there. They build their greenhouses. And they don't have to do any kind of heat or cooling because it just is that way all the time. And so um, they started developing a very strong market, but they were run by people who didn't understand American business. And then about 10 or 15 years ago, the Americans started buying those farms. And then they started, you know, bringing, cult, you know, um, botanists down and, and doing real 
agriculture in a way that it's a professional agriculture. So it cleaned up a lot of the mistakes that they used to make. Um, there used to be a glutton of product after Valentine's Day. You know, you would, <clears throat> just for example, you could spend $2 buying a rose wholesale the day before Valentine's, and the day after Valentine's it'd be 50 cents yeah. because they had so many left over. Now they control that a lot more. Now it used to be I could buy my Valentine's Day roses on Wednesday and get the freshest rose I could get. Now I have to order it in January mm. to get it, to even procure the flowers. Mm. So the Ameri- the South American market became very strong. They all go through Miami. They go through about 400,000 boxes a day in Miami. Um, and are they are they transported by, by airplane? Yes. Mm. Yeah. That, that's when COVID really hurt them because there wasn't enough demand. A lot of the floors shut down for that period of time. And the freight companies went down, and they were trying to ship flowers underneath a passenger plane and there just isn't enough volume and so we we would get all sorts of holes in our supply line you know yellow daisies or carnations or something simple like that i could normally buy 100 boxes of i would go two weeks where i couldn't buy a yellow daisy Mm. you know so it really was it was tricky to to handle and so you had to learn how to substitute you had to learn how to to deal with customers and educate Mm -hmm. again Educating your customer, I think, is one of the most important things you can do is explain why things work the way they do. Now, you mentioned earlier, are you you have someone that buys directly from South America? So all the <clears throat> farms are shipped to Miami. Mm-hmm. There are brokers down there. Okay. Okay, so the same broker is selling to the local wholesaler here. The local wholesaler obviously has a markup. So I can buy from a local wholesaler, but I've got his markup involved in that. Whereas if I'm buying directly from Miami... I've got a selection of different farms that they carry. And so that I know which farm, I can tell you what variety of rose works best for me. I can tell you what farm works best for me. You know, wow. so I have specific farms that I have specific products that I only buy from that farm mm-hmm. because we like the quality. And so they supply pretty much everything east of the Mississippi. Baltimore is actually a bigger port of entry because they do all of New York and Boston and the crowded areas up in there. And so the volume is much higher through Baltimore than it is Miami. Um, what hurt COVID, what COVID hurt most besides the supply line is that they lost all their inspectors mm. down in Miami. They all, all got laid off and trying to find somebody to, because they inspect for drugs, they inspect for insects, they inspect for that. You know, everybody says, oh, you get stuff from South America. Mm. How often do you get cocaine in your box of flowers? It's never, mm-hmm. <laughs> never. Yeah. You know, they used to run probes in them, so they now they have dogs that smell out, that kind of thing. So, um, and the real legitimate farms down there, they don't mess with that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. So anything we've ever gotten is flowers. Yeah, interesting. So, so let's talk about two things next. Okay. Successes and horror stories. So let's... What are some like good wins? Some things that you really like. This is this really was a turning point. You mentioned the website was a turning point in the business. Do you have any like really good success stories or something that might inspire a young business entrepreneur? We do um, well, a one specific story. No, but the, the evolution of how we handle holidays has been a success. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's one of our I think my biggest success because it's hard. To go from 30 deliveries a day to 600 in one right. day. Yeah, that's massive. It, it, mm. it, it's a big change. And so, and you're de- dealing with a perishable product. So, unlike drywall that you can store yeah. 500 sheets, mm-hmm. you know, indefinitely. indefinitely. Mm-hmm. 
I've, I've, I've got a time window. Uh-huh. And so buying fresh and, and making sure that the temperatures are the right thing and the way that they're hydrated and the way they're taken care of is all there. So it is that process of, of being able to have 600 arrangements from a logistical point of view, but also the marketing part of it and being able to, to get my customers to buy those 600 arrangements instead of some other type of 600 arrangements. So that's really was a big success for it. The failure was before the website when we um, accidentally oversold for Valentine's day. Oh yeah. And um, so we were just busy. We did 458 deliveries. I worked, um, I worked 45 hours in two days. Um, It was just, we, were, we came in at midnight, not even home till 11 o'clock the next night. And the day before that, I'd come in at 3 and got home at 8. Mm-hmm. And so it was just incredible hours. And we were delivering flowers at 9 and 10 o'clock at night. We got them all out. But mm-hmm. when a guy calls you up the next day and says, you woke my wife up to give her her Valentine's Day flowers. Yeah. I'm not paying for this. Mm-hmm. And so that was the big negative that turned into a positive it says it teaches us a lesson it was a mm-hmm. hard lesson to learn because we replaced i mean we refunded 100 arrangements mm-hmm. at 80 bucks a piece you know so it was a big loss ouch yeah but it taught us that okay now we control how many deliveries we take now having the computer system saying okay i can look and tell you how many deliveries we have for today and so we make a cutoff and so i'd much rather tell a customer i can't take that order because I'm not going to be able to deliver it. I can't guarantee I'll deliver it. Every order we take, we'll guarantee that we took, we'll make it there um, in a timely fashion. Right. Now I know what I can do, and so. So it sounds like innovation has had a really big part in the growth of your business. So you've been able to go from the hand orders, people walking in through the evolution of the website to the fact you needed a special CRM system and your customer system. Um, So outside looking in, um, you've not done the, well, I've never done it that way before, so I'm not going to do it that age. You've gone the route of, well, we have to survive, we have to innovate, we have to keep pushing forward. Um, I don't think failure is, is really a failure, but failure is definitely a way to learn how not to do something. And so learning from our mistakes is a key thing. Absolutely. Yeah, so I love it. And so, then not changing, one of the things that dad was, I think, it's funny when you when you're in a family owned business, you see your parents as your parents, but you also see them as as people. Yeah. I think faster than you do as a child that's not associated with that. You don't see his failures, you don't see his weaknesses, you don't see his strengths. Um and we did. Mm-hmm. And learning from those mistakes. You know, I I told my kids when they grow up and they're gonna have kids, I said, Don't make the same mistakes I made. Mm-hmm. I said, make your own new ones. <laughs> <laughs> So when you see your parents as people instead of parents only, uh, you get to see their mistakes. Dad was, one of his weaknesses was, if you could have a, a procedure that you followed for thousands of times, mm-hmm. and this one order just went completely haywire and blew up in your face, he'd want to change the procedure. You know, And, and we'd have, after a while, he'd calm down and, and understand that the procedure worked 99.9% of the time doesn't need fixing. Mm-hmm. And so that is... is trying to avoid just overreacting yeah, to things. Overcomplicating it. Yeah. And so that was a lesson that we learned. He, he gave us a lot of lessons. You know, he taught us how to take care of customers and, and not worrying about replacing the arrangement and, and, and thanking the customer when they complain to give you an opportunity to fix mm-hmm. 
a mistake, even if it's not a mistake. Because a lot, most of the, if you look at our bad reviews, I can t- I can name every one of them. I can tell you the story behind every one of them. Right. And I think there was one where we actually made a mistake, mm. and the other group were just people being unreasonable. And but that's right, you know. So we thank them for calling us, and and it's like silence after you say that. Mm-hmm. What do you mean you're thanking me? You're, you know, they're just ready for a fight. Yeah. The other thing that <clears throat> he taught us is that when someone's complaining, shut up and listen. Don't try to interrupt. You know, don't try to fix it before they're ready because they've got something to get off their chest, mm-hmm. and they're going to tell you about it. Yeah. And you can either interrupt them and make this a really long process, yeah. or you can um, listen. Uh, I've, heard it, I've heard it described as, as the, they come in like a big balloon full of air, and you just let them go. And sometimes they even want to do it again. Yep. They'll run through the whole thing, and they still got some air left in the balloon. So they're going to tell the whole story again, and then you tell them, you know what? Wow, I understand that. I can see why you're aggravated. Right. Soon enough, they're just out of air in that balloon, and they're right. ready. They're, the emotions have bled off. And you trying to fix it by sticking your finger in there before all the air's out will not work. Oh, and heaven you... help you if you poke it to bust the <laughs> <a> balloon. <laughs> Yeah, you can't, you have, to, it's a procedure. You have to let them uh, get it off their chest. Otherwise, yeah. they don't think that you've listened to them. Yeah. And even though you know where this is headed, um, you still have to let them discuss it. Yeah, I smile when you say that because we've talked about this before on a podcast because it's like you just have to let them get everything off their chest. Absolutely. Sometimes they don't necessarily want a solution. They just want to be heard that we were unsatisfied. How can I make this better for you? It's Okay. I just, now you know, you know, okay, we'll take care of that. Thank you very much. Or sometimes it's as easy as, let me, can I send you a fresh batch? Can I, you know? Absolutely. Um, and you give them options. You mm-hmm. said, uh, the three options that we usually do is, oh, I'll replace the arrangement, mm-hmm. you know, but it was for a funeral. Okay. Um, you don't feel it was worth it? What do you think it's worth? You know, I'll, I'll give you credit towards it. Or longtime customer had been in, just not happy with that arrangement. I said, I'm going to put a note on your, on your account says you weren't happy with this arrangement. Mm-hmm. And so the next time you order flowers, I'm going to give you extra value. And so one of those three mm-hmm. usually works out all the time. Yeah. But doing it cheerfully is, is just as important as doing it. You know, yeah. letting them know that you actually care about fixing the problem for them. Mm-hmm. Um, well, we're all human. We absolutely, we, we may make a mistake. Or I have perishable products that yeah. do not last forever. And sometimes mm-hmm. you can't tell when you send out a, an arrangement of roses, especially they're, they're notorious, that that rose is going to perform the way it did last week. Right. And so sometimes they, they're picked too soon. They're immature versus not ready. You know, they have to bloom out. And so the timing is wrong. So understanding you have a, they're not perfect every time you get them and sometimes you send them out and they look great when they went out but they didn't end up or the driver knocked them over or they knocked them over you know or i've seen pictures and these flowers are completely dead and i'm looking at the vase and there's no water in it <laughs> you know <laughs> like you don't real it's a clear vase so you yeah. can see that the water's yeah. gone and all the stems are out of water right i, said, I know where this happened yeah, yeah. think you of know. me know your problem so you replace that and, and you try and, and remind them that mm-hmm. they have to fill it up and things like that. So obviously your life is not just flowers, obviously. Right. So you're a big family guy. So just unflower related. Well, how do you decompress? How do you, what do you do for fun? Offshore fishing. Wow. Big fisherman. Really? Love, I love it. Um, the ocean is 
Um, it's just so different than life because I, you know, when when you're sitting next to a 45 foot whale shark or you see a 2,500 pound uh, manta ray jump out of the water, mm. you know, or, or you see a, a a shark come by you and and you can see that it's 12 feet long. There's just so many things in the ocean that are just different than ripe. Um, I also. My father worked in scouting. He was a committee chairman of a, a Boy Scout Troop 36, and uh, a little plug for them. Yeah. Uh, they sell Christmas trees every year, and we sell about 500 Christmas trees every year. We're just getting ready to get back into that season. He was committee chair. I was an Eagle Scout out of that troop. The troop is still there. I'm still there. So I became a scoutmaster in 1994, uh, did that for 10 years, and then I became the committee chair, which is kind of the logistics guy behind making sure that the Scoutmaster has everything he needs. Um, at my age, I think I, t- I tell people a lot, if you're going to do something for the, uh, to help, then you better be passionate about it, mm. you know. Um, I had a guy, one of the, I think I always go refer to this season, you know, you can't change the world, but you can change your corner of it. And my parents were always that way. You know, they taught us that you got to give back to the community, you got to give back to the world. And so... I enjoy scouting. I enjoy what it, the program. I believe in it. Um, the political part of it that's gone over the years, you know, they've had lawsuits, they've had this, they've had that. and mm-hmm. All that's changed from a national point of view. But from a troop level, yeah. you still have kids that come in and, and a lot of them don't have fathers. Yep. A lot of them looking for positive male role models. Um, they're great kids. They're great parents. They seem... Our troop has been very fortunate to have a lot of great adults assisting, and they're very solid people. They're, they don't have agendas, and they just want to help the kids. And scouting does things differently. You know, it, it puts people in uncomfortable situations. It puts a child in an uncomfortable situation, such as he's now a leader. Mm. He's got to stand in front of kids. Yeah, He's got to hike 60 miles through the Grand Tetons with everything he owns on his back. You know, so physical... You know, stress, emotional stress, social stress. It, it's, but it's in a positive way, and they learn to fail without learning to be wrong. And you know, and they fail on a small scale, and they learn from those successes and those failures. And so, it's fun to watch a kid blossom. You know, he, he's just this. I, I remember a guy named John, young kid, very quiet, very good kid, very quiet. And then he ran for senior patrol leader. So senior patrol leader runs the whole boy part of the troop. Mm-hmm. So the scoutmaster works through him, you know, and it's a very structured into patrols and stuff like that. He, he gave his speech, and, and he gets up there, and he's not reading anything, and he just owns the room. And it was like, I looked at his dad, and I said, who is that? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know? And so it, it's fun to watch them blossom because it doesn't happen at the same time. You know, yeah. everybody grows and matures at their own level. Um, yeah, and the good and the fun thing is they get they get an like you said they get an opportunity to do things there, absolutely that they wouldn't get at at that age anywhere else. In we life. just we just came back from summer camp. They the first week the kids went to a summer camp in Wyoming, and one group hiked sixty miles in the Grand Tetons, hmm. and um, the other group did a traditional summer camp. And then the second week we we camped inside of Yellowstone National Park. This is like the fourth time that we've done that. And they spent a week with 60 people cooking meals, exploring the Grand Tetons, exploring. And so these kids never get an opportunity to do something like that. It's life changing. It is. And they remember it all their lives, 
all their lives. Well, we, you know, we hate adversity. We don't like to be uncomfortable, but we know that when you're uncomfortable, you grow. Yes, Correct. Grow. So, yep. And the scouting is great for that. So. Absolutely yeah. is. Absolutely. Both, you know, from, like I said, from a leadership point of view, from a, a physical point of view. And, and I remember a kid went to the University of Florida after getting his eagle. And he came back and talked to me about this. And he moved into his room and he was had two beds and an air conditioner and a work room. Mm-hmm. And the bathroom was down the hall. And the showers were down the hall. And, hey, I'm fine. Yeah. The kid next to him came from a completely different environment. Mm-hmm. And he moved out of the dorm next week. Because he, he couldn't adjust. Handle, yeah. Couldn't adjust. And it, when you carry 60 pounds on your back mm-hmm. or 40 pounds on your back and, and you go through that and you dig a hole in the ground to go to the bathroom and all that kind of stuff... Listen, if you get stuck in the airport, you got air conditioning, you got food, I can survive with that. Yeah, and so yeah. it changes what, what is your comfort level is yeah. um, completely. And, and that follows through the rest of your life as well. Excellent. David, it's inspiring to hear you. I love your story of your family. I love the business. I love the fact that you're not all business. You believe in giving back to the community. You're truly a pillar as far as I'm concerned in Orlando and you. your, in your business. I just wish you all the best success in the world. It was extremely easy to have this podcast with you. Yeah. We've never met face-to-face, and I feel like I've known you forever. Yeah, so. yeah absolutely. Yeah. Thank you for being here. I appreciate it. Thank absolutely. you. How can someone get a hold of you? You can always call us. The website is Colonial Florist Orlando. Okay. Uh, email address is colonialflorist at gmail.com. Uh, calling us is always better. You get to talk to – we enjoy talking. One of the things that we – lose with a website is that that order is taken. You never get a chance to talk to me about that. And we enjoy talking with people. We enjoy welcoming them into the shop. Yep. And it's fun. You know, that's part of the fun of, of owning a business is, is relating with people and, right. and meeting those needs. So um, we're at, on Curry Ford Road, 4160 Curry Ford Road. Uh, give us a call. Um, we're in on the website. Um, again, it's uh, Colonial Florist Orlando. But one of the things that you get caught with is... Um, and I will talk to you. We talked a little bit of this earlier about what is called an order gatherer. And um, sometimes you have to be careful uh, when you type in colonial florist looking for us. Mm-hmm. These people who don't have a, a flower shop have website part participation. They pay a lot of ads right. for that. And so I had a best friend of mine say, hey, listen, I ordered some flowers from your website and I'm having a problem. And he gave me the code number, that product number. And I said, you didn't order it. You weren't on my website. He said, yes, I was. Mm-hmm. I said, no, you weren't. <laughs> and what had happened is he typed in Colonial Florist. The word colony came up. They didn't pay attention. They clicked on it. And it was a completely different website. Mm. Oh. So make sure it says Colonial Florist Orlando. Mm-hmm. There's a little thing up at the top that's got a rose on it. It says Colonial Florist, mm-hmm. established 1953 or whatever that is. And... Um, so that's the easiest way to find us. But calling us and talking to us is is always something that we appreciate and do. Yeah, we're in a uh, we're in a a click and uh, and buy the economy. You know, Amazon click, right. you know, pay click. But yet, flowers are truly something that are meaningful and special. You definitely want to call. That's a good idea. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Excellent. David, thank you very very much. Can't wait to have you on again. My and, pleasure. Uh, yeah. Please, thank you. Please do come back. Absolutely. Thank you, everybody, for listening.
We'd like to thank you for listening to the Hole in the Wall Business Podcast with Bill and James. If you'd like to learn more about us and our business, check us out at holeinthewall.com. If you'd like to get in touch with us, drop us an email at podcast at holeinthewall.com. And if you are interested in a Hole in the Wall franchise, please email us at franchise at holeinthewall.com. <laughs>